Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. The power of podcasting compels you, Derek. This is The Exorcist from 1973 on In the Can, part of the Bar Murder Podcast Network. Something beyond comprehension is happening to a little girl on this street, in this house. A man has been sent for as a last resort to try and save her. All right, that was uh, that was the trailer for The Exorcist. It is such a '70s trailer; it is amazing. Uh, it's just a bunch of stills. If you weren't able to see the uh, actual footage, uh, it, it yeah. premise with the a shot of the famous shot of Father Marin arriving for the exorcism, and a bunch of stills of like of Reagan possessed, and and then yeah. the, the I think the, of the a, demon Pazuzu, right? Who is inserted yeah. in the movie? But it, and so it's it's honestly it sets up nothing. Uh, it's probably right. before they shot anything. We, Let's just take a moment and appreciate trailers like that and how we don't get those anymore. And, and, and I, that would have blown my mind if I were, you know, as a kid at the time to see that thing on TV. But yeah, absolutely. No. Black and white stills and sets it up with the, the, you know, what you're about to see as a woman, as a little girl that's in trouble and a man said to save her and just doesn't tell you everything like trailers nowadays. 
exactly. but let's introduce you real quick, man. This is a this yeah. is the Barn Chief Sam Strands from the Barnburner Podcast Network. This is in the can, our movie podcast, and joined for the first time with Derek Steiner, um, a screenwriter in his own right, out in LA and, and involved heavily in the industry, who is a horror movie aficionado. And I, I couldn't mm-hmm. be more excited to talk about 1973's The Exorcist. So, Derek, how are you, man? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm psyched to talk about one of the greatest horror movies of all time and a movie I saw way too young. <laughs> I think that's that the salt way too young thing is pretty common for people of our generation. Uh, yep. That and Jaws, movies that were kind yep. of on TV for a right. period of time before I think networks realized, like, why do we run this during like well, three o'clock? Um, well, and, those were those are those movies that were in that gray zone before like PG 13 was around. And it was like, it was like not graphic enough to really warrant that, you know, don't let the kids watch this, but it's definitely, you know, uh, definitely stuff we should not have been seeing at our at a young age. That's true. But those, those are formative experiences, you know, and that, that's why we're, sure. we are as fucked up as we are today. Uh, so fun. we have the, uh, the plot description. It's short. It's 1973 horror movies are thought to be a laughable makeup affairs that with no prestige at all. Um, then this film comes out about a 12 year old possession and her mother's attempts to rescue her. Um, via exorcism conducted by two priests kind of changed mm-hmm. the, the market uh, for both horror and pea soup as we'll find out. <laughs> and, you know, and what are your general thoughts on the exorcist and how did you come to it as a young film goer or film watcher? The exorcist was always one of those, like uh, one of those uh, salacious titles. It was one of those titles that promised something that uh, you shouldn't be seeing. And, and, and as a kid, you know, I, I watched night of the living dead. I watched the shining and the exorcist was one that friends and my parents would always say, that's the one you can't watch. That's the one that's going to mess you up. So naturally my dad let me watch it. And, uh, <laughs> like, and, any and good father. It, like any good father, mm-hmm. because, because, you know, like uh, it's not and look, I love slashers. It's not, but like the exorcist is a prestige horror film in a way. It is a beautifully directed movie made by a filmmaker that has, you know, Oscar pedigree. Uh, so it it doesn't feel like trash and it's hard to get uh, it's hard for horror to get respected, you know, Academy Award wise and, and, and um, you know, and, uh, review wise. So uh, so my dad let me watch it because it was a great movie. It, was, it came from that era of like The Godfather and, and you know, obviously Friedkin went on and did The French Connection. So uh, so, yeah, I got to watch it at a uh, at a very young age. And uh, and believe it or not, it was not as scary as I expected it to be considering, you know, because we uh, of our generation, we were used to gore and there wasn't any gore. In this, not really. So uh, that always stood out to me. Um, I, but growing older, I just appreciated it more and more and more because of, you know, the existential horror of it all and, and the performances. And I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's really like it's an unnerving movie. It's more in the you know you think of a modern like Ari Aster is kind of a guy that channels what this guy's what you know Freakin and um, Willie Blatty or what Will Blatty are doing uh, in this movie. And it's it's a situation where I think it was hyped up, and we come up in an era where like you got hostile, you got all the torture porn shit, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and you, you know you've got uh, you've got all those remakes of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and some of those '70s slashers where they just kind of up the gore and put like Rob Zombie music in the background and then you know Absolutely. like disturbed is playing over the, the credits and you know it's just like mm-hmm. that that weird new metal era of horror that we had um and sure. so we, when we watched something like this again we were kind of like oh what the hell like no one's getting their head chopped off or whatever and i right. think once you get older and I, I know neither of us have kids but you kind right. of get the whole this would be awful like it just puts oh a, my gosh. a hit in your stomach where you're you understand like if one of your pe- happened to your people like your sure. friend's kid or something even like you would just 
the situation uh, is unnerving to think about being in. And I think that's I mean, what any, yeah. Anytime you have to, you go to the doctor and the doctors don't know what to do, you know, you're in trouble. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. that, that always, I mean, especially on the rewatch that, that struck me for sure. And, and, and I just want to bring up real quick, like there was one, I mean, maybe you can pick up on this. There was one scene in this movie that always got me as a kid and still gets me as an adult. And it's not like the head spinning. It's not the vomit. It is. It's the, uh, the hospital uh, procedure the angiogram or something yep. with uh oh my gosh that got me and uh and it still does so like that is the version that is the hostile moment of a very uh beautifully made art film in a way i feel like that, that freaking's like hey medical procedures are just as violent and awful as like possessions uh and Especially i'm gonna make you happens to a little girl a right. little helpless girl who again she does a great job in this and and, and it helped that, you know, they use real medical technicians and they shot it as accurately as possible. And it just, it, it felt like this harrowing nightmare uh, that had nothing to do with the devil. No, no. Uh, yeah. 83% on Rotten Tomatoes found that mm-hmm. kind of low, uh, if I'm being honest. Sure. And, and wondered that there, there was some level of backlash initially when this movie came out because of its pure content, right? You're, you're in the seventies. It's still early. Uh, I think it's, uh, right before the Godfather's Godfather 74, I think, or maybe yeah, a little bit so. after that. So, yeah, I mean, I we're at the beginning of kind of this, you know, easy rider, uh, raging mm-hmm. bull era of movies that come. This yeah. I think they called it, well, the Godfather 72. So this was right there. It's that new okay. wave of Ho- that new wave of Hollywood filmmakers of, you know, Coppola, freaking Spielberg, De Palma, yeah. all those guys. And they were making those grounded, like documentary style, style movies for sure. But then you got um, the devil. You've got the Catholic Church, which is you yep. know a, a, just a, a renowned entity in America. And this is obviously well yep. before any of the well documented uh, uh, you know molestations. Uh, right. We, we just right. brought a spotlight recently, so that's uh, weirdly yeah. in my mind. There you uh, go. And so you know, it, it is a movie that people fucking fainted in. People were mm-hmm. carried out, and, and a lot of people don't know whether it was the possession elements or the mm-hmm. medical procedure elements, as you referenced earlier. But inevitably. Sure. Insane. I mean, I, what I can't imagine all, yeah. is is seeing this movie at this time. If I was like fourteen, it would have mm-hmm. fucking ruled to be able to mm-hmm. go see this and never like you know have the interest that I had, but just being able to like see this for the first time at a time where nothing like this existed and people weren't pushing the envelope. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just can't. Just like seeing Star Wars for the first time in '77, like you can't fathom that experience. Like, and, uh, totally. And the exorcist also had that wonderful uh, William Castle type thing going for it, where the more bad press it got in terms of audience reaction, the more popular it became, you know, in the seventies, this is when, you know, when you wanted to go to the movies, you had to wait in line to get in. And, uh, and when you see people, you know, with paramedics waiting outside and carrying, carting people out like that, you know, that's going to put you on edge the moment you walk into that theater. And, and like, I'm envious that I've never really experienced anything like that. That was like a very gimmicky thing that like, I, I just, I wish I could have been there for. Yeah. I mean, I remember just to, I mean, not to mention hostile two times in one podcast, but that kind of mm. had that stuff going on. Like people were like, Oh, it's sure. so gross. Like you'll vomit because you're seeing all this crazy stuff. It had a little sure. bit of that, but nothing like this, nothing with prestige yeah. where you have but moving into Billy Freakin, William Freakin, uh, you know, mm-hmm. he coming off the connection and mm-hmm. you're going on to have an entirely, I mean, maybe a little bit of a disappointing career comparatively to where he started with French Connection and then The Exorcist, but sure. a, a renowned filmmaker in his own right, has a yep. very distinct style uh, and directs 
like you did in the seventies, which is beats the shit out of your actors <laughs> and uh, parade, literally parade like them. commits assault uh, routinely on, on set. Fires guns near actors' ears. I mean, it, it's the the stories are insane, and yeah. I mean, I, not to be like the woke guy, but like yeah. you just again, you can't fathom it happening. No. anywhere near and by, near a film set and by the way he doesn't deny it at all he doesn't play it off like you know i i read the freaking connection last year which is really i highly recommend it it's his autobiography and he's open and honest about it and to him that's how he brought out performances you know that's how he got the what he wanted nowadays though you know it's kind of we, we i don't condone it at all people should not be doing that to actors if they're actors for a reason but there is something kind of like charming about it I get it. And, and again, I do respect the fact that he owns up to it. He's like, yeah, like he doesn't say like, it's really good to shoot gun in people's ears. No, but he says, I did that. Well, yeah, I had the to do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, famously. in when the phone rings in father Karen's room and you know, he looks over really fast and you're like, wow, that's a really crazy reaction for a phone ring. That was because mm-hmm. freaking had fired off like a double barreled shotgun right next to his head. <laughs> that's uh, right. And then the actor, of course, very pissed and said, uh, get me the fuck off the set. And mm-hmm. Billy Freakin deadpan responded, uh, that's great. We have Jack Nicholson waiting in the wings anyway. Amazing Freakin. I mean, yeah. like this guy's incredible. Uh, I mean, you know, go I mean, ahead. He, fro- he literally, he froze the set. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like during the possession sequence, I mean, during the possession uh, scene, he, he had the set, I think it was like somewhere like 30 degrees. Like he literally froze the actors because he wanted that breath. Nowadays, that's seen as over the top and unreasonable. But back then, that's that was that era and style of filmmaking. I watched um, the uh, yeah, I watched the making of before this pod, and it's it's an hour. It's on YouTube. It's worth it. It's I think mm-hmm. it was made around two thousand when they released the director's cut. Freakin's talking yeah. about how now they just CGI all that shit, and he's like, you yeah. just couldn't do that then. He was like, I, I mean, no. if you wanted breath, like yeah, you could just add that in right now. But mm-hmm. then there was no way I could get what I wanted. And make needed it the breath, and it breath. does work. It is, it is a. It you feel cold when you watch that sequence. It's true. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, a couple other things. He, uh, you know, of course, strapped up uh, Reagan uh, and her mother, mm-hmm. Chris, and to harnesses when they had to do the the convulsing scenes, and when Reagan right. punches her mom, and her mom flies back, and um, famously, Ellen Burstein famously broke her coccyx, yeah. uh, yeah. flung back, and freaking apparently panned the camp like nodded to his cameraman to zoom in on uh, Burstein's actual, uh, like actual pain to get it yeah. a couple extra shots of an insert and Burstein mm-hmm. just almost left the set. It's just, it's amazing stuff. And, yeah. and, and Linda Blair to this day complains about back pain from, from that harness. And, and then just, that was the take they used the one that really hurt her back. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, Warner's approached uh, Stanley Kubrick and Mike Nichols to direct before they went to, before they went to freaking. Uh, and apparently the um, uh, the studio eventually settled on Freakin' because of French Connection and success. Mm-hmm. And the screenwriter and, and author of the novel, you know, pushed for Freakin' because he thought that he wanted the same style of documentary style, as you mentioned, yeah. from French Connection on this. More of like a this really happened sort of deal. Uh, right. and, and I think they definitely achieved that. I mean, you want to talk about the as the screenwriter? Do you do you are you familiar with William Peter Blatty or I mean, do you, yeah, do you, have, you know like, what I know about William Peter Blatty? I know he was a novelist. And then he adapted his own his own book. I know that him and Friedkin, uh they clashed a bit when it came to the final cut of the movie. But I think they're, if I remember right, the development process was pretty. Oh, it was a was a pretty good good marriage with them. Um, I don't know much about his other works. I do I do have a a soft spot in my heart for Exorcist Three. I don't know if you've mm. seen that. 
We'll have to do well, that. Uh, that, yes. we'll, that we'll, we'll definitely do that, that at some point. Yeah, he that's like that. I need that in a couple of years. I, I need a couple yeah. years buffer between the, the Exorcist pod and then the Exorcist three pod, but it will it will happen. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but, well, but William Peter Blatty, I, I think I remember something that he was like on a Groucho Marx uh, TV show and won like ten grand or something, and then decided to take some time off to finish a novel, which became The Exorcist. I, I always love that story. That you know. You always hear someone's going to write the great novel, and, and he wrote, you know, the the greatest exorcism novel of all time that became the greatest exorcism movie of all time. Uh, it, um, and Spot like initially thought about that idea because of an article he read in the newspaper about exorcism. Oh, right. He wasn't even yeah. particularly fascinated about the mm-hmm. subject. He, he was Catholic, but he wasn't like a devout Catholic, and so mm-hmm. kind of a random like. You know, he wasn't particularly passionate, but he ended up writing kind of the definitive text on this thing. Sure. Just interesting why he would get to make that turn from comedy, slapstick comedy to sure. to that. Sure. Yeah, no. And, and you know, I read that script uh, years ago and, and it's such a it reads like a novel. And I say that in a good way, like, like you know, Freakin's a director. Freakin had the vision for, for the movie for sure. But Blatty, those were his characters. And, and, and he put, like we talked about it earlier, he put so much heart into making us care about everyone. And, and I want to talk a little bit about like, you know, uh, Father Karras, like just, just like his relationship with his mother. Like, I just, I felt you, you don't, these aren't throwaway characters at all you really do feel for every single person. And, and that's like, that's the writer right there. In my, in my opinion. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, he immediately yeah. creates stakes because you care about everybody. Everybody. And, and I mean, freaking's able to do it in a minute and a half scene. Um, suddenly mm-hmm. you're, you buy into Karis's plight, but it really, I mean, it's on the page before I, I will say in the, sure. the documentary I watch freaking hated the first draft and apparently took mm-hmm. the novel and kind of, I mean, he kind of adapted it himself and drew brackets around sections of the novel that he felt were the pivotal, the pivotal pieces of the, the story right. that needed to go in and, and some dialogue, too. Uh, but he thought that, that Blatty had included unnecessary elements uh, from his to make book. It, to make it cinematic or or because Blatty was... was Blatty was holding, he was holding on to the par- parts he loved. As writers, Got we it. both know there's some of those scenes that you love. Absolutely. That, you, that someone comes in and cuts and it, you know it doesn't belong in there, but... Uh, you just, you, it's your baby. You don't want to let it go. Absolutely. Uh, awesome. So that was uh that was uh, the writer and director, really a great pair. And a lot of what we see in the seventies mm-hmm. is a, is a transcendent, uh, transcendent director with a real clear vision, working with a, a transcendent script. And what you get is an incredible product, which doesn't happen as much anymore. Um, nope. I feel like the old guy, anytime I'm on a movie pod talking about how shit's not the same, but it, it just, just not, not as much money for those type films. Um, well, it's also interesting that at that time, you know, Nowadays, you know, studios are corporations. There's lots of cooks in the kitchen. And, and back then it was, you know, the studio was worried about this movie. They had no idea what freaking was shooting. They were dropping by set all the time. The set burned down. I don't know if you know about that, but the set burned down. Uh, Nine people died uh, yeah, well, that's um, in, involved in the production. Um, yeah. yeah, the set burned down. There's everyone that talks about it kind of makes it seem mm-hmm. conspiratorial, like mm-hmm. uh, either religious powers burned it down or there's someone that just, you know, some devout Catholic that was pissed about the movie being made, snuck Absolutely. onto Warner Brothers. Absolutely. I mean, freaking went and shot that whole opening sequence in Iraq. Like there's stuff that they did on this movie that just wouldn't fly today. Um, so, yeah. The studio wanted, uh, you know, moving into IMDb and potentially bullshit Google trivia. Uh, the oh, studio yeah. wanted Marlon Brando, 
in the role oh, of Lancaster Marin and freaking immediately vetoed this by saying it would become a quote Brando movie. Uh, and then they wanted Nicholson for Karis uh, before they eventually got their man. Uh, and then Paul Newman apparently expressed interest once he read the script. The script was apparently passed around Hollywood just kind mm-hmm. of like back then. Yeah. Hot I, know, I know, I know like, uh, I know that Shirley MacLaine was going to do, uh, was going to play um, uh, um, the mother, uh, Chris. Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That too. But I, but like, I think uh, if I remember, I surely passed on this movie to do another possession movie that no one's ever heard of, which I always Ooh, find to be tough beat. Yeah. 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 Uh, and this is again, probably bullshit. Yeah. Audrey Hepburn was first approached, but only said she'd mm. only do it if it, the production was moved to Rome where she had lived at that point. Uh, oh, went to Anne Bancroft. She said she's willing to do it, but she would just become pregnant and said they had to wait nine months and they couldn't oh. do it. Uh, and then she went to Jane Fonda who said, quote, she turned it down because it was a piece of capitalist ripoff bullshit which is the most Jane Fonda quote at that time, who was picketing, fighting the good fight, uh, probably in D.C. at this time. And still is. (laughs) And still (laughs) is. Um, The Exorcist uh, set box office records that stood until 2017. Can you guess which R-rated film usurped its spot as the highest grossing R-rated film? Oof, in 2017? Yep. Get Out? It. Ah, Stephen King, It. I know. Good guess, though. Get Out is good. Um, that was, uh, that was fascinating to me. That is insane. Um, and yeah. I, I mean, of course it's adjusted for inflation, but, but still, still. like, Again, those, were, those, were the days before, those were the days before multi- multiplexes. So people waited in line. Yeah. I just um, I love that. Willie Freakin said that he cast Jason Miller as Karis because he'd seen him in a stage play and his performance mm-hmm. reeked of failed Catholicism. <laughs> that's amazing and, and while we're on jason miller can we a little fun trivia about him you do oh, yeah. know who his son he has two uh famous sons you know who they are no i have no idea jason patrick oh isn't that amazing and then and then uh i think his name is joshua john miller who is a writer of one of my favorite horror movies called the final girls i don't know if you ever saw that never seen it it's amazing it's todd strauss Jolson directed it it's a uh, it's like an '80s type, not not spoof, but satire. And and uh, and he also Joshua John Miller, who's a writer now, was the child in Near Dark, the vampire movie. Oh yeah, like the child vampire. So, so those are both of Jason Miller's kids. Jason Patrick, I totally see that. He channels right? the very same energy. Uh, I feel like mm-hmm. still had like uh, could have had a great career and just I don't know what happened to him, but I, I, I there's a universe yeah. in which. He's out there taking like I mean he, he took over I don't know like he reminded me of Josh Hartnett just disappeared off the face right. of the Sure, sure. I mean I didn't see Wayward Pie in season two, but I was you know he's back on TV where he was for a little bit. Huh. So no, I, uh, I like Jason Patrick. But yeah, Af- Jason African American. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. African American enthusiasm for The Exorcist uh, has been credited with ending mainstream studio support for black spoliation movies because oh, wow. apparently the black audience flocked to The Exorcist. And Warner Brothers didn't even open it in traditionally African-American neighborhoods because they assumed they wouldn't go see it. Eventually figured out they would and made a killing mm-hmm. on that market as well. So wow. affected a whole genre, uh, according to bullshit Google trivia. <laughs> Good. Awesome Google trivia. <laughs> uh, any other things that you read? I mean, Pazuzu, you mentioned, is the name of the, the demon who we kind of learn more about yes. in the sequels. But isn't mentioned in this in yeah. the first. And movie. by the way, and, and you know, I've seen this movie countless times. Honestly, like I, I watched that in LA. They have this this uh, festival called Beyond Fest. It's amazing. It's every year in October, and and they did a they did a screening of the director's cut last year. 
And like, and so, so I, I watch it like yearly and it just struck me like on my rewatch, they don't say Pazuzu. I just, I don't know why I never picked up on that before. It's so ingrained in, in you know, the movie and, and that, that, that face flashing. So yeah, they don't say Pazuzu and that's just bizarre to me. And the face flashing was actually a ma- makeup test for Linda Blair. Uh, so which yeah. is, I mean, I don't know if that's true, but that's interesting as well. That's just freaking inserting frames that he wasn't going to use just to, mm-hmm. I don't know, subliminally get an effect. Um, yeah. Accolades nominated for 10 Academy Awards in 74, one, mm-hmm. two, uh, one for best adapted screenplay. So our boy, Vlad, he's got a Oscar gold and then Excellent. best sound mixing um, mm-hmm. was of course nominated for the power Oscars, best picture, Best actress and Ellen Burstein and supporting actor Jason Miller, Linda Blair. It's uh, Miller's first movie as well. Right. Um, and wow. best cinematography, Owen Roisman, who's kind of the, you know, him and um, he was really one of the best working cinematographers at the time, shot the French connection and then went on to do most of uh, Friedkin's work in the seventies. Uh, Sorcerer who's another big movie of mine. I fucking love Sorcerer. Love Sorcerer. I will tell you that is a, that's Great a movie I'm in a bar and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know why we'd be talking about William Friedkin, but if we were, and I was like, have you ever seen Sorcerer? And I could do yeah. like 30 minutes on Sorcerer. And yeah. if another person has seen it, then we're, I'm like, all right, well, let's just go over to the corner here and talk about Sorcerer. Uh, again, one of the perks of living in Los Angeles is like, I, I get uh, treated back when the world had movie theaters. I was treated to a lot of these, like these great, these great opportunities. And one of them was Friedkin rented out a movie theater and played his cut of Sorcerer for like three weeks straight. And it was oh, that's un- fucking awesome. unbelievable. Yeah. And his cut too, which is, I mean, I know that he battled with the studio on that. It was just a, mm-hmm. a fraught production, and most of his yes. productions are. I think that's yeah. kind and of part because of the, we've we've established why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, any other general thoughts on the excess before moving to categories? No, let's 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 go for it. All right, uh, first category: Who gets the most buckets in this movie? Which our category for best acted? Derek, who do you got? Look, I, I keep bringing him up. I, I love Jason Miller in this, mainly because I haven't seen him in anything else, and I think about him all the time. Whether it's it's the look he has, it's the way he, he talks about his mother and handles his mother, it's the heartbreak, and it's it's his demise at the end. It's so tragic. I, it's such a haunting performance. So, like, like obviously, look, Linda did great. Linda was amazing. Linda's what everyone's going to talk about. But Jason Miller is the unsung hero. I give, I give him the, the, the win on this. Yeah, it's a good pick. He really is. Um, and, and for him to not have a career going forward, it's very interesting. I wonder what happened. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that I, I didn't look it up, but uh, he might have well have just been in some movies that bombed. And that back in the 70s, that was death for mm-hmm. an actor. But sure. um, yeah, I, I, maybe, maybe you know what happened to him. Yeah, incredible performance. And I feel like the fact that I didn't know who he was really mm-hmm. matters. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I'm, I think that if it's Nicholson or Paul Newman, um, I, mm-hmm. I get a little distracted by those guys because they're very showy performers. Like I just can't fathom Absolutely. Nicholson channeling the good that Jason, that Jason Miller does. Absolutely. Um, and, and just that he really is like the, the scenes alone, uh, anytime he's in that little shit apartment that he has, or, or just, I don't know. It's just like, he's always a little, like you feel like he's almost a little drunk. Um, or maybe no, it's those human touches. It's, you know, he, it's him drunk on the bed and, and, and his friend taking his shoes off and, it's him regretting not being like it's it's his reaction when when the when his friend's saying oh you could or his uncle's saying oh you, you could have had a, a, a penthouse on Park Avenue if you were a doctor instead of a priest you know like the, the, and the, his reaction to that is so heartbreaking and that's what sticks with me. 
I love when he says there isn't a day in my life when I haven't felt like a fraud. Like, and he's, okay, he's talking exactly. about it. It's a credible dialogue, but I mean, it's, it's just, uh, delivered yeah. fantastically. It, it's a good pick. I, I'm going to go Linda Blair because I, I thought she just yeah. needs to be talked about and I can see another category where we talk about her. I mean, right um, I think her first role too, uh, is 12 yeah. years old and, uh, comes in to play this, I mean, basically an impossible role. When you think about casting for this at this time in particular, yep. you're trying to find a 12 year old that can kind of tackle this weighty subject matter and do it convincingly. I mean, yep. it is very difficult and she pulls it off. And uh, I mean, the movie, she's the linchpin, right? If she comes yep. up across any particular kind of way, not believable, uh, either yep. as the little girl that's innocent or as the, the evil villain, um, the evil mm-hmm. possessed, uh, you, you just can't buy it. She's both sympathetic um, and also, you know, like you, you can believe that she's strong enough to sort of fight the demon and not be like completely taking control. Uh, I just, uh, yeah, I think she's Absolutely. fantastic. And again, like, you know, on the rewatch, it's like when you watch Linda in these early scenes, she is so childish in it. Right. And that's like, and I love her relationship with her mother. I love how much her mom loves her and how much her mom doesn't want to disappoint her. And, and, and so she, she just plays both sides so well that it doesn't feel like a kid acting. It feels like. I know that someone else did her demon voice, but it doesn't matter. It's it, she is haunting and creepy. Uh, through like, once she, the once the possession happens, she's wonderful. The the scene I think about the most with her is that mm-hmm. there's a, a scene where her mom's on the phone trying to get in touch with her dad, who's a wall again. Great writing, mm-hmm. like never come out and say it, but it's it's understood that the dad kind of split right before the events of the movie, and that it's a sore yeah. subject, obviously. And it pans back, and then we see Linda listening to the call, um, yeah. and kind of just like silently. You, you see that in all the times in like you know broken homes or whatever. It's like sure. a kid listening to their parent having a you know an emotionally charged conversation, uh, and the, her silent rage and also sadness is is a great moment there. You know, uh, you know, think- it's great. I picked up on something with her early on. You know, Captain Howdy is the is her imaginary friend. That is, you know, uh, the the demon. That's what she was calling him, Captain Howdy. And on and on the rewatch, I picked up that uh, that's the name of her father is Howard. Yeah, Howdy and Howard. There's a play. Like, I don't know. I don't know why that hit me like just then, but it's heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, no doubt filling that void, and I mean that just yeah. that just uh, when you see a vulnerable person. Um, yeah, so six man slash woman of war makes the most of their role with limited screen time. Uh, I mean, my pick is uh, Max von Sydow. I, I feel ooh, like interesting. He, I feel like I, I love I love how he's at the beginning of the film. Which, by the way, mm-hmm. I fucking love when movies start like in kind of remote locations and start mm-hmm. see, in a seemingly unrelated fashion to what the main story is going to be. But yeah. then, I mean, it's, it's obviously set up and it pays off, but you've got this old guy who's by the way, 45 when he shoots <laughs> yeah. an old man yeah. makeup, which actually yeah. I didn't know the first couple of times I watched yeah, that. Right. I was like, has he always been the old Swedish guy? Uh, That's or, amazing. You know, no. and, and, and uh, so, yeah, I didn't realize that, but he shows up, he's like digging, doing a little Indiana Jones, digging through some ruins, finds like an old statue of a, the demon Pazuzu is like visibly shaken. And it's like this 10 minute opening that mm-hmm. any studio now would be like, can you cut that to 15 seconds? Absolutely. Uh, and, 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 but they just let it linger on this guy. And then you leave him for an hour and a half. And then he comes back mm-hmm. in for the penultimate exorcism. But With he, the wonderful me, entrance, the yeah, hell of an entrance. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, literally one, one of the most like picturesque entrances we right. saw in the trailer um, gets dropped off and the light just, I mean, I don't know if they purposely lit that light coming through the window, but I mean, yeah, cinematographer's it's, it's, based off, uh, it's based off a famous painting by, uh, oh, I can't remember what it's called. Renee yeah. Mag- Magritte. Yeah. But I read that too. Yeah. It's beautiful. 
I, I think he's, I mean, he's obviously like, I mean, he was a historic uh, actor in Sweden, um, was in a ton of, of, of films that you can watch on the Criterion channel right now. Sure. Um, Bergman, he's like the big Bergman guy and, and he's phenomenal in his own right in international cinema. But yeah. I feel like he's always good at playing this character. Uh, and Very I think so. he, he make he sells the final bit of buy-in into Father uh, Karen because like he, he, he kind of becomes the mentor immediately. And then once he passes, then we see Karen kind of make that ultimate sacrifice. And I, I don't know. I, I anytime Max von Sendow's in, I'm I'm like fuck yeah! Like I'm ready to yeah. listen to this old guy spit some wisdom. Right on. No, he yeah, he's the greatest. My my answer would be Kinderman. So Lee Lee J Cobb. I love Kinderman with a passion. And I'll I tell you, Lee, Lee J Cobb, big Cobb guy here. Like big Cobb guy. Angry right man. Let's fucking go. Yes. Yeah. yes. So so Kinderman, I love because he is that. Uh, he he loves the movies so much, and I love movies. So I just want him to find his friend to go to the movies. And uh, <laughs> and the fact that I remember that the lieutenant that's you know investigating the case, like I can remember personal things about him, is he he has struck a chord in me. So that's my unsung hero. He's uh he's so good in everything, and I everything. love him. He's like the everyman. He's like the uh, just the everyman looking guy, like the guy that back in the seventies there were so many of those guys. They just look like they could be anyone, but they were like renowned actors. And I feel like everyone now is so fucking handsome. And it's like, we need more of those guys, you know, like Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Um, Just around for the, for just the working class guy. We can't all be Gosling. That's right. Yeah. So that's a great pick. And and, uh, I think, I feel like the Lieutenant stuff, the police investigation Mm -hmm. stuff probably hit the cutting room floor the most um, in terms of novel to screenplay, because He's not in it much. He's good, but I feel like right. that kind of angle is not as explored in the. Movie. No, it's not. But it but it warms my heart when he asks for an autograph for himself. You yeah. remember that? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Great. yeah. Does anyone ever uh, tell you, you look like Paul Newman? Uh, <laughs> he's like, yeah, yeah. That's oh. good stuff. Um, nah, yeah, yeah, he's wonderful. He is. I so play single greatest scene. So I've I've got some nominations here. Uh, and then feel free to feel free to throw some in. I've only got three and I'm sure there'll be more, but I've got the opening Iraq epilogue mm-hmm. um, that sets up everything or prologue rather. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've got the angiography scene uh, and, I, and that, that kind of the medical epilogue, procedure yeah. process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've got the exorcism, of course, penultimate nine minutes on screen, kind of the, the, obviously the climax of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But what, you know, what, what are some scenes I'm missing? Some, some smaller scale, you know, like character scenes. I, I know I'm missing some. I mean, you know, I, I brought it up when when uh, when Karis is going into uh, the mental institution to see his mother. That that always strikes me because, again, it is a guy who who has failed in his mind has failed his mother, and that 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 sticks with me in terms of just again haunting me. And and as I got old, as I get older, those are the things I think about. Um, the scene that always when I think of the exorcist always sticks out is the dinner party. You know, you have Burke Dennings who's trashed and, and saying the funniest, most horrible things, calling the Butler a Nazi over yeah, and over he again. He really comes at that guy. Uh, you know, right. I feel, for what reason? I mean, is it the guy like, does he have blonde guy, hair? He, 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 has, he has an accent. He's got a German yeah. accent. Oh, that's, so, true. Like, that's true. Just so. immediately thrust the third Reich on him. It's like, that's uh, right. Yeah. So I love that scene. But then, of course, it ends with, you know, Reagan coming down and, and pissing the floor and telling the astronaut that he's going to die up there. And so that that scene is that's the moment in the movie where you realize, OK, this things are going bad now. And I, I so I love that scene. And um, and I like that you brought up the uh, the medical scene again, because that that one. Yes, it scared me, but 
I have a little piece of fun trivia that I wish I would have brought up earlier. But do you do you know that one of the texts in that scene is a real life alleged serial killer? No, that's brutal. Paul Paul Bateson, I think is his name. Batson Bateson is is played. A, he he was a he worked at the hospital and he was the guy wheeling Reagan in to get an X ray. Um, and and I guess Friedkin when he was making a movie called Cruising was uh Ooh, which, which is about a serial killer in, in gay bars in New York City. Uh, that movie was about a um, a murder in the gay community who was, you know, picking up guys at bars, sleeping with them, and then murdering them, cutting them up, and dropping them in bags into the into the river. That's Paul Bateson is that guy, allegedly. I don't think he's been, you know, I don't think he's been uh, arrested for it, but I'm not positive. But that's him in the movie, which makes it even more chilling that, like, you know, wow. uh, that that uh, that Linda Blair was around this like this guy that was going home and I allegedly killing people. <laughs> Not to mention the fact that Freakin goes on to make a movie like inspired by what, what are what are the odds? You know, yeah. and he didn't know that he's making the movie. Then it's like, why have I why where have I seen this guy before? Yeah. Oh, he was in The Exorcist. <laughs> I watched him like for seven collective hours in the editing room as we cut right. those hospital scenes together. I always yeah. thought that's sort of like fun, fun, creepy trivia. But no, that scene uh, stands out. And I also something else about that scene is the doctor smoking cigarettes. I, oh, I, I, don't know why. I don't know why that gets me so much. There's certain things put my antenna up and it's like yeah. smoking on planes, no security yeah. at airports. Like yeah. you know, the two towers, when that appears in a movie, I'm always mm-hmm. like, Oh, uh, it, it's just, yeah. And then of uh, course, look, I, look, I want to talk about, I, I want to talk about the fin- the final scene. Cause that's obviously the, you know, the, the, the climax of the movie. Um, and just like the heartbreak of, the, the, the exorcist steps, but I don't know. I feel like the, I feel like that's well ingrained in culture and pop culture and everyone knows it. So I wanted to, so I wanted to single out those, those lesser known scenes. Yeah. And another scene that really jumps out to me too. I, I love, uh, I love guys like uh, planning mission slash like setting a schemes up scenes. Yeah. Uh, so two scenes jump out as the, the Catholic, the two, the Catholics meeting together and figuring out who they're going to bring in for the exorcism. Ooh, like that, that whole cool. like, set up and he's like oh Marin's been in Iraq and he's back now and they, they set yeah, up the he whole had a, it, thing or Marin had a he had a tough experience in East Africa which yeah. they ended up making two spinoff movies about you know right that's true off, off one yeah. line in, in this right. script they, I, they love, I, like, I love stuff like that yeah and uh, and so I like, I like that and also like the the scene uh, where Marin's preparing Karis uh, about, you know, kind of what to expect. And he's explaining to them like that the demon's a liar and that he's going to mm-hmm. try to attack their psychologies. Of course, that sets up the payoff of Karis's mother and all that. And yeah. I, I love that. We're like mentors telling, you know, acolyte, sure. like here's what you got to look for. And, and you're, you as the audience are just like gearing up to, you're like putting on your boxing gloves, ready to go into the mm-hmm. ring. And it sets up this kind of battle where in, in a movie now, I mean, it would be so ridiculous. Like the the, the girl would be flying around CGI. Right. She'd be like spinning in the air. It'd be so much mm-hmm. gorier. Like, and it's it just such a fucking small scale character driven sure. drama. And that's what makes it, it work. I don't think that anyone gets that now. And that's I mean, why. I, that's why I call it an art film. It's a horror art film. It really is. Though it's a blockbuster, it, it is. It could. It could work like a stage play. So you want to do a couple minutes on the exorcism itself and that from ultimate scene. I'll let you have the floor. I know everyone knows about it, but what, you know, yeah. like you've got these guys going in the ring with this demon. You've got, yeah. um, I mean, you got nine minutes here. That's just the, the kind of the whole movie hinges on this one moment and the payoff there. Karis, of course, 
you know, well, Marin passes of a heart attack, which have you always interpreted that to be like because of the demon or? Because yeah. Was- I mean, again, it, it, it always shocks. It always like bumps me in a way. Like, yeah. I don't, I feel like when you when you make you know you have this grand entrance for this character who has it you spent this whole opening prologue with and you know they've done spinoff movies I hate I hate that his demise was like that I feel like he needed to go down swinging but that's almost what's scarier about it is that you know Pazuzu or this this demon is powerful enough to take this um, anointed one and and render him you know like like he failed. In a way, he failed, and that's where you know Karis had to come in and finish the job. And it's, I, I, it always bumped me. I don't know if it, I don't know if it bothered you, but it always surprises yeah. me when he walks back in. Yeah. He's dead. I'm always like, oh, I forget. I always forget that happens because it's mm-hmm. off screen. All the deaths are off screen, yeah. which is you know, it's it's great. It's Jaws, right? It's scarier what you don't see, um, right? And it kind of leaves it to the imagination of what happened to what. To what is your because because uh remind me if you because i'm not as fresh did the demon say something personal about him that got under his skin no i mean it's it's trying it's 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 you yeah. know saying stuff about the catholic church with marin i don't think the demon knows as much about marin marin's kind of a new presence so it doesn't know yeah. his like personal struggles or whatever mm-hmm. but i think it's just like it's such a powerful demon they needed two guys like full yeah. strength saying all the things uh to keep mm-hmm. the demon at bay and once Karis started to be weak and left. That's when yeah. the demon was able to focus all of its power on this kind of like elderly man whose heart just gave out. But there I, it is. I don't okay. know if, you know, I don't know if it would have been, it probably wouldn't have been better if we'd seen the scene of like the demon slashing the throat of, I don't know. Right. That, that's where it gets kind of like, all right, you know? Uh, right. So I think it's, it's great the way it is. And then Karis. Yeah, they made the right, they made the right call. Yeah. All right. And Karis comes in and then takes in the demon. And there's all this talk now about how the demon's entire purpose was to actually possess Karis and in mm-hmm. fact tells tells them that plan when it says you know like uh, what a great day for an exorcism and it, it basically says I can't wait to get out of Reagan and into you uh, mm-hmm. then we can become one um, and so that I, I feel like the scene where he shrieks and then mm-hmm. the camera follows him and it's like a steady camera whatever the equivalent of a steady cam was then but it's like sure. follows them out the window it's like such a shocking moment and it's such a great mm-hmm. coda on a scene and I can't, mm-hmm. I mean, again, I can't, I, I mean, the first time I saw it, I was blown away. I can't imagine having been in the theater for that. Yeah. Um, and then the last rites are issued by that's Father what, Dyer. That's crushes me. Father oh, Dyer dude. giving him the last rites crushes me every Incredible. time. Yeah. And classic freaking, apparently mm-hmm. 20 takes in two o'clock in the morning, can't, <laughs> can't get, can't get the shot he wants. And so he goes up to this guy and asks, do you trust me? Guy says, yes. And then he slaps the shit out of him. <laughs> well, when before he had told the camera to roll cameras, slaps him, yeah. steps back, and then that's the cut they use in the film. And it, it, you can see he's trembling, and the actor's like, I couldn't find the, the motivation, and that was where it was. So, wow. <laughs> just, I mean, oh boy. so many things have to go right, right, for this to, oh boy. For this all to come together. But, um, yeah. yeah, I just, I, what I envision is like Alexandra, whatever, the guy that directed The Revenant, slapping DiCaprio when he's getting eaten by a bear. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a very comical thought for me. Well, by the way, the I feel like the Revenant shoot, that's for another conversation, but I feel like that might have happened during the Revenant as well. <laughs> that's true. They were far enough out in the woods, and DiCaprio, I yeah. feel like, is like kind of into that. I feel like yeah. he'd be into that sort of thing. Right. Uh, so do you have any other comments on the, the climatic exorcism scene, scene stuff no, that you I wanted just, to point out? 
again, I just love the sound design of uh, like the, the the voice of of uh, you know Reagan possessed Reagan. I love that voice. It's so chilling. You know, the score. There's no real score. It's just you know, uh, it's just like this breathing, the sounds of breathing and the frosty breath. It's just it's a, it's atmospheric and just beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it, it, anytime someone asks me like, "What is sound design? Like, what does that even mean?" I'm like, "Exorcist." You know, like that, yeah. like the, the voice, the head turning around, creating that, what that sounds like. Obviously, mm-hmm. they didn't really turn a person's head around, you know, so right. they have to they have to create sounds. And that, I think that usually drives home the point. Um, yeah. Most quotable and, quote. What do you? Oh, sorry. I mean, look, well, I was saying we were doing ourselves a disservice by not talking about the crucifix masturbation scene in terms of scenes that stick out. I, I think like honestly, we'll, we'll I like point people if we don't. It kind of makes me uncomfortable. Uh, it does and, to talk and, about and it for sure. It does. And I, I think like, that's kind of why I like almost subconsciously avoided it. Um, but, yep. but I, I mean, it, it is, it, it is the moment where you're like, fuck, this is like going sideways in a real way, in a way that we haven't seen on screen before. So what, what do you got? About that scene. I mean, look, yeah. that's one when I saw it really young, I had no idea what was right. happening and it freaked me out. And now as an adult, it still freaks me out and it's still, it is one of those moments that like, like in Jaws where you see, you know, what's his name? Ben, Ben's face and the, the, you know, the face pops up on Richard Dreyfuss with the shark teeth in it. Mm. It's like, it's that shocking moment where you realize this is not a PG movie. This movie is scary and this movie is wrong and, uh, and blasphemous and dirty. And this is why people were passing out in the theater. So in a way it's like, Oh, that this is the horror of it all. It's a, this it's a, it's the first instance of visceral, uh body horror you know um, yeah yeah and i mean again, I, it always I, sticks to me and it's perverse obviously it's perverse and uh yeah i feel like we just had to mention it it checks out too like if i'm trying to write like a very blasphemous thing mm-hmm. that like i would assume a demon would do with my human brain <laughs> you know like yeah. that's like that checks out yeah. like it's like okay yeah, it's like, like there's, a, there's a kid cursing and there's a kid masturbating with a crucifix and, and, and this movie just does both. <laughs> yeah, they're like, I mean? okay, we got both. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and two, another thing that I listened to in the documentary was the, the crucifix itself is, is, was what used to damage her. Like she's cut herself with it, like all of her cuts yes. and whatnot is was crucifix. She's been hurting herself with it as if it's interesting. That, I thought that was from the Holy water, but you're probably right. That's well, that, that's what they intended anyway. I mean, I like uh, I don't know the reality, but uh, most of the cuts were done with the idea that she used the sharp edge of the crucifix to uh, like, so that as she got more continuously possessed, all of the yeah. body damage on her was her own doing. It wasn't like suddenly she morphed to become a different thing entirely. She still looks mm-hmm. like Reagan. It's just that she's clearly like damaged herself. And mm-hmm. I do like in the last, last scene, you could still see the scars of, you know the, mm-hmm. the the damage, um, but kind of like realize that it's not like you just move past this and become a no. normal human being. Yeah. Uh, most yeah. quotable quote: I've got the the demon. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've got the power of Christ compels yeah. you. I say it all the time in jest. Yeah, uh, that, that's. I mean, that's just that, that's that's really probably it. But there, mm-hmm. I love the, the quote that um, when. The the demon tells Karis to take off the straps, and he's like, "Well, you know, he's like, who are you?" And she's like, "I'm the devil." And he's like, "Well, if you're the devil, just make them disappear." And she says, "That's much too vulgar a display of power, Karis." 
And mm. shout out Pantera, by the way. That's where Pantera got the, uh, the album title. Um, Interesting. But yeah, I, I love that line. And it's like, it, it's like they're playing verbal chess and jousting. And you know, you can, the demon's like willing to have a conversation with you. Like it's not beyond, it's not just going to like puke green shit on you and mm-hmm. roar at you. Like it's like down mm-hmm. to have a theological conversation about like what it means to be a demon and how, how effective it is at, at essentially luring people into being possessed. And mm-hmm. now like it, it, even demons have like limits with what they're willing to do. I always think that that line is, it's a really great fucking line. Um, For sure. Father Dyer, my idea of heaven is a solid white nightclub with me as a headliner for all eternity, Excellent. and they love me, which is great. Excellent. Uh, what else you got? I mean, look, one of my favorite demon lines is your mother sucks cocks in hell. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's just that, that's incredible. Um, I met poor, ladies poor passing Kara. out all over the audience. Yeah, that's poor Kara. He takes a beating, man. Um, he does. You know, this movie is is so it's so uh, disarmingly negative and in mm-hmm. uh, unlike a lot of horror movies, which usually have some moments of, and there's some moments of comedy and levity, but it reminds yeah. me a lot of seven in the sense that it's so fucking dark in a it's way dark, that it's bleak. Totally bleak. Yep. And it doesn't have the moment at the end of the film where you're like, everything's going to be okay. Reagan does survive, but the mm-hmm. demon wins. I mean, yeah, it, it gets its man and it ultimately, you know, ruins lives in the process. So it's like right. there's no rainbows at the end of the tunnel sort of deal. Totally. And then on a lighter note, one of my favorite lines that I wrote down that I had to rewind because I didn't quite hear it right. Again, it's my man, Burke Dennings, at the dinner party. He's sitting there drunk and he goes, there seems to be an alien pubic hair in my gin. I've never seen it before <laughs> in my life. <laughs> and everyone just shockingly so looks at him. Who, who right. do you think? What director do you think Freakin's going for there? I, I, I know I, he's trying to either roast somebody or pay homage to somebody. Yeah, okay, so it's the 70s, so it's probably probably fucking well, he's like, not I was going to say Polanski, but Polanski was, you know, European, so maybe it's oh, like Peckinpah. Yeah, Peckinpah's good one. It's the Palma. The Palma's apparently yeah. like just aggressively ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I can see that. Yeah. But uh but he does have the like the body type of skinny euro. So it's like yeah. is he, you know, yeah. is he, Polanski I can see. Um but, that's good. Uh, one more line I love is, uh, and I, I brought it up earlier, but again, Reagan coming downstairs and looking at that astronaut and saying, you're going to die up there. That still gives me chills. That is a scary, scary line, especially, you know, uh, with, you know, Apollo, what was it? Apollo 13, all this stuff was happening around that yeah. time. That was where you so, could very realistically die up there. Like that's, that's right. Yeah. Not, not a vote of confidence from Reagan there, uh, from our guy, yeah. but yeah, that is really good and really chilling kind of the first turn of like, we're seeing where this is going that the peeing too. That's like something we hadn't seen was like how right. uncomfortable that makes people and everyone's yep. face. It's like this jovial party scene, the classic mm-hmm. drunk adults around a piano, like singing fucking sweet Caroline, the equivalent of sweet Caroline back then. That's uh, right. all that. So yeah, that, that is great. Um, any other quotes? No, that's uh, those are the ones that stick out for me. Uh, switcheroo is a dumbass category, but I like talking about Nick cage. If you could slap Nick cage in here, mm-hmm. um, who would you, I mean, you know, could be anybody. If we went Wickerman in the cage, we would, we'd have him be Reagan for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, that he, would he's be got the range. We've seen it. He, oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, he has the range. He has the range. But again, I'd like to see Nick cage be the Burke Dennings. That's, that's, that's my version of Nick cage. I want to see him directing a movie and being drunk at a, at a dinner party. There's a world where he's doing like 
uh, All the really like, I mean, leaving Las Vegas, right? Like he's doing yep. a little bit of that. He's, he's maybe doing a little Fincher, like control freak, <laughs> like, you know, like maybe, maybe yep. you did a little too much cocaine before the party kind of deal. Uh, yep. I think that, that could actually really work. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to watch. I want to watch Nick Cage as a director explain to Chris McNeil uh, 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 her character motivations and help her go through her script. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fantastic. Um, I like Nick Cage as the. Uh, and I don't want to. I don't want to replace Lee J. Cobb, but I, I like him showing I up as the. I like him showing up as the cop. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that immediately sort of like disarms you and makes you maybe pay a little bit closer attention to that particular character in those scenes. Uh, sure. I, I love Lee J. Cobb, but I doubt that, you know, the general moviegoer that watched this movie now even knows that he had this insane career before this and that he actually right. passed away, I think, right after this. Right after oh, shooting. I didn't know that. See, I didn't I think know that. That's right. uh, wow. So I, I would love to see Nick Cage showing up in a duster and a fucking bowler <laughs> hat and just, you know, talking about movies and giving a little bit of a his unhinged, you know, I don't know, like face-off-ness. Yeah. And again, asking... And asking, being very shy, and asking for an autograph to yeah. from, from a movie star—that does that totally feels like a Nick Cage role. I think you know you slide him in there. He can't be too much. He can't be too pivotal. But pivotal. But if you have like that, like he's he's great. Um, totally. So his rewatchability, I think this is an obvious one. But I mean, uh, you know, we have a, a buy on Blu-ray, a rent on iTunes. Maybe I'll yeah. catch it on HBO, or you know, maybe never watch it again. I, for me, yeah, it's, I think own, yeah. yeah. Go go ahead. No, I, I, it's it's an insanely rewatchable movie. Uh, yeah. I think that you watch it and you catch new things every time. That's kind of the staple of it. It is both rewatchable as entertaining. It is also yeah. a scholarly film artifact. You know, it's something that yeah. you would teach in film school, and it doesn't feel like a chore to rewatch. I, I'll admit to some of the European classics sometimes mm-hmm. when I've rewatched them, feeling a little more like schoolwork than like, wow, I'm really into this. Um, yeah. But The Exorcist and that sort of golden age of Hollywood, the 70s, the second golden age really was when I think I can sort of key in on these things and get them mm-hmm. from a personal level um, yeah. as opposed to like, you know, uh, I don't know, eight and a half, for example, which is great, but you know, I, sure. it, it's, it's kind of, you have to, to tune into that. I have to be in a very specific mood. Right. Right. No exercise always never fails to uh, uh, it always delivers. Um, and it is one of those you need it. If you're a horror fan, it's a staple of horror. It is the the father of possession movies get it on blu-ray get it get it in whatever edition uh is is uh is the newest and the best in terms of you know preserving the film i know that freaking had a director's cut and i'd like to talk about that first yeah, yeah do that because i've never i've never seen the director's cut okay so i watched both so i watched the theatrical cut the other night then i watched the director's cut last year and i remember a few key differences and what's what's kind of fascinating about it is uh a lot of a lot of freaking's choices in the director's cut totally changes like like the effect of the movie, and and I mean that in that in the director's cut, it opens up on the house, like you don't go to Iraq right away. It opens up on the house in Washington D.C. in Georgetown, which which is kind of unsettling and strange. And then you go to Iraq for that sequence, and it's like I don't know why they decided to do that. It's a very strange decision. But also in the director's cut, you have that moment of Reagan doing the spider walk down the stairs, mm. which I don't know if you have you seen that moment. I've seen that just by existing in pop culture. Like I know That's about right. it and I've seen and it on it, YouTube. And it, and it came from the director's cut and it is so jarring because it's during the dinner party and she just goes, she just goes down that, she, oh, sorry, it's after the dinner party, but she goes down the stairs and it never, it's never paid off. And it establishes that Reagan, once she's possessed, leaves her room. So like, 
so it sets up this whole like this idea of like oh well why is she still in her room if she can clearly leave the room right so it's a it's a very conf very confusing addition but the, m most of the changes are minor there's a there's a nice moment with uh with karis and Marin during the exorcism where they take their break and in the, in the theatrical i think they just sit there and they take a break whereas uh in the in the director's cut they have like a meaningful emotional scene that's like i did miss that and i i want to go back and rewatch that so i can see sort of what they talked about because i don't quite remember but i remember being like oh that's a nice addition i like that and then something that's actually kind of annoying is freaking threw in a whole lot of the pazuzu's face flashing so we get it a couple times in the theatrical but in the director's cut it's like way overdone like uh. like chris is chris is walking to the kitchen and it's like over the stove you see a little face flash <laughs> and, and it's like it's like a it's like a shock value thing. So that's yeah. that 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 kind of bumped me. But um, I'm trying to do anything other. Those are the ones that I remember off the top of my head. But it's worth checking out. It's worth like it's worth seeing because it's you know again why would freaking do that? I don't know. Yeah, apparently the the things that I read was that Blatty the director's cut was more what he wanted. You know, like the, the that's he, right. That's what I said. They were they fought about the final cut, and I think they kind of made amends because freaking and Blatty worked together to put this thing together. And I think I think a lot of that is the Marin Karras personal stuff that they added back in. So, do you think if you had a gun to your head, which one's a better mm -hmm. cut? I think the theatrical is by far better because it's scarier. Mm -hmm. uh, the the again the the crab walk thing, as famous as that is, considering it's not even in the movie, the spider walk, uh, considering it's not even in the movie really does like just change the the rules of it all and what's so yeah. scary about the exorcist is that it doesn't feel gimmicky like you said it doesn't feel like special effects it feels like you know a girl in peril strapped to a bed um and the idea of her roaming the house and and you know it, then it becomes like alien which i love but that's not what this movie is yeah it's not like a stalker slasher like yeah yeah exactly uh well cool man well, it was really fun uh you guys check yeah. out the exorcist watch it rent it it's almost spooky season. It's a good, like it's a good first movie to lead you into it and kind of take your hand and introduce you to the scarier parts of the world. And also a fucking fantastic movie. And I promise oh, you will not be bored. It is not the old movie that you, that your parents watched that you right. can't identify with anymore. It is a really a timeless movie. And while I'm watching it, I'm like, Holy shit, this is a good fucking movie. And I mean, that, that's when I know that I'm in good hands is how many times I say that to myself. Um, yeah. as I watch it's it's one of those movies you study, especially like you know with me. I write a lot of I've written supernatural and possession stuff, and it's one of those touchstones that you just have to be aware of and see what worked and what didn't work. And you know, for The Exorcist, it all worked, so you know that's the one to look towards. It is streaming on HBO Max, just to be helpful. If you have HBO Max, it's on there, and it looks beautiful. Oh yeah, check it out on HBO Max. I think it might be coming off pretty soon, so uh, I feel like do I saw it that quickly. it coming off at the end of September. Do it quickly, and then in yeah. about a year we'll do Exorcist three. I probably got like I don't know twenty minutes on Brad Dorf. I think I've got like yes. twenty to thirty minutes on him. So that that's a uh, that's definitely a, that's a good one. The next touchstone for us. But yeah, Derek, appreciate you coming on, but thank you for having me. That was a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah, man. Uh, check out the podcast at uh, the Barnburner Podcast Network on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. And we're on YouTube uh, streaming at our channel and then also on Periscope. Um, so check us out and read stuff at d-barnburner.com. But Derek, you'll be back, I'm sure, man. Sweet. I'd Talk love soon. to. Thanks. Bye. See you later.